What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no, listen to my radio, destined to be... Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Steve Vandegraaff, and I'm with the one and only Derek D.W. Williams. Hey. Good to be with you. <laughs> Whether you're on your commute listening to us, or maybe at the gym listening to us, or maybe you're listening to us thinking that you should go to the gym, thanks for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> We've all been there. Yep. Some more than others. <laughs> Derek, instead of me asking how you're doing, I want to ask, tell us please a highlight of your week at the office and then maybe something that was challenging at the office for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's it's interesting that you out of all the weeks that we've done podcasts together and stuff, it's interesting that that you ask about this week because this week was probably one of the the best for my office. I worked a total of twenty six hours, and our our adjusted production for this week was uh, just over fifty six thousand. So it was one of those weeks where everything just all the gears were meshing. Everyone was just jived. I could tell all of us in the office really put forward our our best effort. We worked together to maximize the schedule, maximize production done each appointment. We worked, went the extra mile working patients in. So it was really great. It was really awesome to see. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I think second part of your question, it's something challenging. I think, uh, if I had to pick something challenging, it would it would have been the challenge of staying in the zone and not allowing myself to settle. You know, our typical goal for a day is around twelve thousand. Um, if I would have been, if I would have, you know, just been content with that, that's you know a normal week that gets us to thirty six thousand on three days. So to remind myself to 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 over and over remind myself that I can, I can push the boundaries, push it just a little bit more, a little bit more allows me to kind of keep pushing. And typically on busy weeks, it it can be difficult to stay in the zone and to stay in the moment with every patient that I'm with. Uh, It's easy to get distracted, but it's really, it was by staying focused and and committed that uh, really we were able to make every minute count and Ultimately, I think that's what's going to allow you to to push your practice to the next level is uh, is a relentless mindset. It's uh, you know continuing to push yourself. That is awesome. What what are one of these days look like? That's twenty k days, right? Like what do what are you doing dentistry wise to to get you there? It's just man, you you look at the schedule and it's uh it's just a lot of it's a lot of stuff. We worked in a lot of patients with broken teeth with toothaches, so there was a lot of appointments working in someone to do a root canal buildup and crown. We had several patients where we did extraction and bridge the same day. Um, wow, nice. And uh, and then we had some others where it wasn't anything. I don't think I placed any implants. I did restore, uh, I think, a couple implants this week. And that's, you know, that's decent production. But, you know, it wasn't anything crazy. It's just a lot of adding, adding all those things, adding up. Yeah. That's cool. You should do a podcast someday where you just take one of those days and like walk us hour through hour. You know, this is what we did. This is what this patient was, how we presented it. And 
I would like that, but that's awesome. Congrats on your great week. That's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good idea. I have heard requests from, from people to talk, to jump more into schedule and how to work through things. And, you know, I think we definitely do that in TLP Academy and our coaching. That's a big part of what we work through, but uh, I think we could definitely do some of that in, in a podcast episode. So it's a good idea. Yeah, it'd be fun. So I really enjoyed yours and Justin's podcast last week uh, when you guys talked about the book, Can't Hurt Me. And um, so thinking about today, I wanted to kind of continue in the same vein and thought it might be fun to do another read. Maybe it sounds like this month is turning into like book report month, but I think maybe we could pull some value from it. And I wanted to, if it's all right, maybe talk about some lessons of really the first self-improvement book that I read in life. It's definitely an oldie, but kind of a goldie, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Yeah. So this book, it's old. In fact, it was written like, you know, about a hundred years ago around the first world war. So, um, it's been around and, but it was really kind of one of the first true self-help books. Dale Carnegie basically put a collection of his lectures together, lectures in which he would go around and and teach public speaking, sales, leadership, self-improvement and the like. I was reading uh, about the book and basically it was listed as one of the 20 most influential books ever. So I thought it could be fun to kind of pull a few points from today. Derek, you're an avid reader. Does this one earn a spot on on your shelf? Yeah, I think uh, this is, it really is an exceptional book. Anytime you can have a book that lasts for, I really think anything more than 20 or 30 years and there's still a lot of people reading it. It's a good sign that it's uh, there's a lot of good stuff in it. The other one that comes to mind is Think and Grow Rich that was you know written a long time ago and still is uh, very, very popular. And I mean, I think you could ask probably most people that are you know leadership-based or even care about that stuff, they're going to at least have heard about this book by Dale Carnegie. So yeah, I think the principles in it will make you a much better person in life more successful and very likely more happy. And I think the happiness will come because this book shows how to focus on other people in life. And it's interesting because when you first hear the title, How to Win Friends and Influence People, it almost sounds selfish. You know, it sounds about you, how you can improve, how you can have more success and, and become bigger. But what's really cool is that. So many successful people have shared that in order to reach greater levels of success, you have to figure out how to add value to more people's lives. And ultimately, I believe that that's what's going to bring you greater fulfillment as well. Anyway, having said all that, it has not been the most among the most impactful books for me. There are certain aspects that I don't fully agree with or adhere to. And, you know, I'll share some of those things along the way. You know, there are my opinions, and I definitely don't believe that I'm 100% right in them. I mean, it could be that I don't understand 100% what was intended by some of them. And some of you may rip me apart. And if that's the case, feel free to, and I will uh, I will gladly listen to your thoughts. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's just how I've chosen to live my life in certain aspects. So 
Yeah, I like it. I remember I've, I think we talked about this actually kind of longer ago in the past and you kind of disagreed with some things, which I think is great. So let's talk about those too. So the book, while I mentioned it's kind of old and because it's old, it, if you read it, it sounds kind of a little bit hokey in some of its vernacular, but I think it sums up kind of a lot of timeless pearls of interpersonal skills and building rapport. When I went through it for the first time, I ended up just writing down and memorizing a lot of the chapter headings and just as little mantras or adages. And I would, I remember I would focus on one per day and try throughout the day to apply that one principle with the hope of... Steve, can I stop you right there? Oh, please. How did you get such a good vocabulary? Like in the last 30 seconds, you've said words like vernacular, mantra, adage, like... They are those are words that are are pushing the boundaries for me. Can we just take a little sidestep and say, how did you get such an articulate vocabulary? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm such a nerd. Okay, vernacular prose. I'm just like the way a book is written. <laughs> no, I'm not asking you to define them. I'm saying, how did you get how did you get your vocabulary to be so articulate? <laughs> Mantra is a really good word. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I probably sound weird. No, it's uh it's impressive. Sorry, I didn't mean to I didn't mean to interrupt, but I I've, I've had that thought a few times and it just was just waiting to come out of me. And so Well, if you listen subsequently, there will probably be other <laughs> words that might uh give you pause. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So you said yeah. uh, that basically, uh, uh, yeah. So one one thing that I did is I would just memorize one of these. We'll call them a saying. How about that? <laughs> one saying per day, and just try to do that all throughout the day, and hoping that if you know they're done all the time, they just become natural in communication and kind of our outlook. So, a couple of them. Let's talk about the first one, and I think this is probably the biggest one. He says to never criticize, condemn or complain. The three C's, never criticize, condemn, or complain. And while this is, um, you know, a short little phrase, applying this rule is actually very hard. So keep this rule in mind for a day and you'll realize how much negativity and how many hostile words come out of your mouth on the regular. So criticism, you know, it is natural for us, I think, to want to feel special and an unfortunate tendency that can come from this is in an effort to make us feel better about ourselves, we often put other people down. It's application in the dental office. I mean, you can think of the drama that's often present at your practice. And so you can see basically this has a big application in, in your work setting. Most often we're not criticizing people to their faces. Usually it's behind their back. And we're talking with somebody else about somebody else. You know, saying negative things about another person not present is really just very easy, but it's really cheap. You know, maybe there are a few people, you know, talking down on somebody and maybe what they're saying has some truth to it. We can either join in the mud, so to speak, and, and pile on. It's easy to kind of be clever when we're putting someone else down. It's so easy. I think lots of times and when we're talking in a group of people, it's the default thing to do. 
But the intentional thing to do is to show restraint, choose to hold back. While you may not get the same laughs, or maybe you might even feel like you're kind of going against the group in a confrontational way, the truth is taking the high ground will earn instant respect for you from the other people. And Derek, I've seen I've seen you do this before, right? I think we were actually <laughs> we were like mocking one of our dental school professors, and then you're like, you know, guys, I'm not, I'm doing my best not to talk negatively about people behind their backs or something. And it, it was kind of an impressive demonstration you had there. Oh, thanks. Uh, I uh, it, it's interesting to hear you say that about me because I feel like you are one of the most positive people. I mean, I don't I don't know that I can ever think of you saying critical things about others. So it's uh, it's cool to hear you talk about this principle because you're someone that truly lives it. Oh, why thank you, Derek. <laughs> yeah. Any other um, examples of of this you can think of or you've had, you know, limiting your tendency or the impulse to criticize somebody else? Yeah, I do feel that I'm that I'm decent at, at this and I credit a lot to my mom. My mom is essentially perfect at this. Growing up, I just never heard her talk negatively about anyone. And I thought everyone was like this, you know? I mean, it's interesting because you grow up and you experience things from your family and then you realize there's so many different ways to live life. And this was one of those experiences for me. My mom just, she just, she just never talked negatively about someone. Or if she did, she might talk about a negative experience that she had, but she would never tell she would never tell us who it was if we knew them because uh, she didn't want us to think negatively about anyone else. So she's a great example. And I think she's, she's probably more open with my dad behind closed doors with uh, not in front of us kids. But uh, she I think I credit her a lot in uh, helping me to, to kind of have that mentality. Your mom is really sweet. I couldn't see her saying something critical either. Although she did t- talk some crap on you to me before, but we'll keep that on the DL, I guess. Oh, really? <laughs> I have a hard time believing that. If so, I'm going to have a talk with my mom. Another one that I uh, that I can think of. So uh, Jenny and I, my wife, uh, we recently watched um, the, the movie uh, with Tom Hanks about Mr. Rogers. We actually watched the the documentary that came out about Mr. Rogers a year or two whenever that came out. I, I love documentaries, so we both really enjoyed that documentary when it first came out. And then watching this other one with Tom Hanks, I didn't I didn't know if I would really get that much out of it. And you know, because I got a lot out of the first documentary. But anyway, the movie, if you haven't seen it, is kind of focuses on one person. And it's a it's a journalist who is pretty much a critic. Everyone that he interviews, he finds flaws and shares them with the world, basically. Well, they assigned him to do a piece on Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers accepted. Anyway, they get to know each other. He gets to know Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers gets to know him over time. And at at one point in the movie, which this is all based on true events. But at one point in the movie that he's sitting, they're both sitting together and the journalist is kind of shaking his head and he says, you, you love people like me, don't you? And Mr. Rogers says, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, you love broken people. And you know, he's, cause he's starting to realize after spending time with Mr. Rogers, that he's such a, a negative pessimistic person. And Mr. Rogers says, you're not broken. 
And, you know, it's like he's got, you can just in feel. That, in the, that voice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can just feel the love coming out of him. And at first, when I watched that, I thought, my my initial thought was, okay, Mr. Rogers, just, he's just being nice. You know, he's, he's just saying that to try and help him. But uh, the more, you know, I, ref- I continued to reflect on it for several days, that scene really kind of struck a chord with me. And I started to realize that Mr. Rogers wasn't just saying that he he really truly believed it he really he really believed that this negative journalist was a good person and he and he's he chose to see the positive things and the potential and the good things about this guy so it's really cool i so here's an example though i don't think that this applies a hundred percent in business maybe this is my harsh capitalistic personality talking if i if I hire someone, I have high expectations of them. If I have someone that's continuously being negative, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to talk about it and and try and work through it. But ultimately, if it doesn't work out, they're going to be gone. But I do think that it can change your approach. So, rather than just seeing what they're missing or what's wrong with them, you can look at their potential and you can work through some of those things by by sharing that you want to support them and uh I think it makes a big difference when you can talk to someone and say, you know, and there's kind of two ways you could address it. One is by saying, look, this, this has to change. You know, this is what you're doing and, and this is wrong. This has to change. You know, that's one way of talking about it. The other way is, is saying, look, I see the potential that we have. And I really think that, that we can grow together. And this is, this is what I would like to see. How can we work on this together? And, and really making them feel like you're on the same team. So I think it can change your approach. But ultimately, if I don't see the changes, they're, they're going to be gone. Right, right. Good examples. I love, love me some Tom Hanks. I need to watch that movie now. Yeah, it's good. I agree. And this kind of maybe applies a little bit to your correction example. So uh, Carnegie's next thing is uh, don't condemn. So condemning related is basically when we kind of pass our moral judgments onto somebody else. In the book, he shares how Al Capone and some other famous criminals who, you know, did terrible things were interviewed while they were in prison. And most of them, they didn't feel that they really did anything wrong. They weren't guilty of of anything. And they just justified and rationalized their actions and actually kind of saw themselves as victims. He kind of uses these examples to point out that it's human nature to not want to accept responsibility or to accept wrongdoing. Now, this isn't to say that we should be, you know, permissive to misbehavior around us or let stuff get away, you know, with uh, team members in the office or in our business, but it helps us to understand how to approach somebody, you know, scolding or open condemning of them won't really get the results you're probably seeking. And oftentimes it can turn them away from you or just kind of put up a wall or barrier. So to influence or change people Uh, it's best to approach them in more of a a tone of kind of trust and connection. He shares one example I thought that was pretty cool. I think it was Charles Schwab goes down to the work floor of his company and he sees two men smoking right in front of some signs that say no smoking. And so instead of going up and ripping into them, he goes back to his office and he gets some really fancy cigars and then he goes back to them while they're smoking in front of the sign that says they're not supposed to be smoking. And he hands them these luxury cigars and he says, 
I want you guys to enjoy these, but please go outside to enjoy them. And, you know, I think if he, you know, he's the boss and they're smoking in your office, I think you're justified to go in there and kind of correct him. But it was just interesting because I think this approach is going to bring about lasting change in the employee's behavior and kind of build trust and, and goodwill in, in your boss. Yeah, that's a great example. That can definitely be tough to do in the moment because in the moment you just feel, you know, I can imagine seeing that and being like, come on, you're right in front of the sign. And, and you know, <laughs> right. it'd be so easy to go and to do that. So having the ability to stop and pause and to think of that solution, I think is really impressive. Yeah, that wasn't a natural response. That definitely was intentional. And yeah, kind of a cool example. And then the last one is don't complain. Um, and this one is really hard. This reminds me of something I read from Tim Ferriss. Basically, he gave a challenge where you're given a wristband and you are challenged not to complain for 21 days straight. Every time you complain, you have to switch the wristband to your other hand as part of a like metacognitive awareness, like connection between your body and mind to help you understand and accept that you just complained, recognize it, and then you have to start your 21 days over. And he goes on to say like how hard this is. It's doable, but it's really hard. And says that as much as 30 to 40% of our daily conversation is centered on a complaint topic, which I think is probably true if you really think about it. What do you do to, or what helps you kind of stay positive? I've shared this before in in, uh, some previous episodes, but I... I really look at my life in terms of ROI with each action that I take in my life, you know, with every hour that I have, I, I really try and evaluate how I'm spending my time and what my return is. And if that time, if it's benefiting me, if it's helping me to grow and to be honest, being negative really just doesn't benefit me in any way. So, I mean, let's just quickly think of uh, consider the con- the effects of negativity. You're going to have increased stress. And we know that stress leads to cortisol. Cortisol leads to higher blood pressure, worse metabolism. You can have weight gain. It's a waste of time. It's almost this kind of like a positive feedback loop, which is funny that I'm saying the word positive when I'm talking about negativity. But right. negativity, the, that mindset can be a positive feedback loop where you're basically training yourself to look for the negative. And when you're being negative and looking at one thing and you move on to your next experience of the day, you're much more likely to see something negative again. So I'm not sure that I'm really the most positive person. But I am I am pretty good at not being negative. If that <laughs> if that makes sense, <laughs> it does. I, I I know what you're saying. That was a good connection between uh, complaining and becoming fat. That's that's probably a good motivator. I, that was some good <laughs> physiology you laid out there. <laughs> One thing I think that is helpful, kind of to your last point, is you can still be real without complaining. And by this, I mean you can acknowledge something is not how you like it, but you include a solution. So, for example, instead of, man, traffic is terrible. I hate wasting my time sitting in here every day. Instead, you're saying something like, this is really not how I want to spend my time. So, I'm going to leave 20 minutes earlier to avoid the rush. Or instead of, you know, if we're at the office saying, my assistant is clueless and I'm annoyed she can't remember anything. Instead, 
we're saying, okay, this does kind of grind my gears. So I need to own this and I'm going to make things clear with her and we're going to review this in some training. So the first phrases are complaints. The second phrases are real feelings, but they're productive. Excellent examples. So some other points from Dale Carnegie. One that I remember said, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest sound in any language. And by this, he means basically when you're speaking with someone, use their name a lot. And he gives some like psychological studies to back this up. But basically, just know that people subconsciously really like to hear their name. And when they do, they open more up to you and what you're saying. I think if you listen to really great communicators, when they're talking one-on-one with someone, they're going to be using the person's name a lot. You know, in the dental office, we have lots of two to three minute short communications with people, brief interactions. And we need to, so we need to maximize kind of our rapport and reception as much as possible in those few minutes of conversation. And uh, I think this is a little thing, but something that can be helpful if we do it all the time and turn it into a habit. So it's kind of a little one, but I thought it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because that's one that I have have made more of an effort to do. I mean, I've heard this so many times and a lot of different people say that, that, and, and I love the way that he says it, that a person's name to that person is the sweetest sound in any language. He doesn't even, he doesn't say the sweetest <laughs> word, the sweetest sound. So yeah. <laughs> it's, and, and it makes you think of yourself, you know, when people, when, uh, you know, some of the friendliest people, you know, will probably call you by name from the get go. So yeah, it's a great point. And it's, it's one that's relatively easy to do. The more you use someone's name, especially in, like you said, an environment where we have short conversations so much, I think, the more you can use someone's name, the more likely you are to remember more about them in the future. And just the the quality of the relationship is going to be better. They're going to trust you more, be more likely to get treatment done when you recommend it. So it's a, it's, it's a very simple tip that can go a long way. Yeah. Something you don't have to fake. It's just like a little mechanic. Or you can go around and say, hey, man, all the time. That works too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, another one that he mentions is give honest, sincere appreciation. So I think this is a big one, maybe, you know, mostly in life, I guess also in business, but I think this satisfies a deep fundamental need that humans have the craving to be important and to feel needed. I think it's important when we express appreciation or give a compliment, it's helpful to be very specific and that makes it real and poignant and genuine because they know we're really we're really thinking and feeling this. I think also this principle touches on how we recommend sometimes at the lifestyle practice and in the academy and stuff to make an effort to make your patients feel better about themselves. We work hard to make people feel welcome and like our office and like us, but kind of the next level is to make patients or customers or those around us feel better about themselves. The cool thing about sincere appreciation, honest compliments is people will really remember them forever. Like they really do. You know, I bet you can look back and remember a time sometime in your life when someone said something really thoughtful to you. It may have been a long time ago, but you still remember it. And now consider what that 
cost them to to do that didn't really cost them anything just some sincere words that they had to think of and truly feel but they have stuck with you for years and going back to your term ROI Derek I think in relationship terms that's a a really good ROI can you think of uh Derek, any examples when maybe someone did that for you and it has stuck with you or helped you? Yeah. I'm going to talk about my mom again. (laughs) I had this really interesting experience. I was in, uh, I was like first or second grade or something. And my school had a competition, like an art competition or something. And I, uh, I drew a picture of, of myself. And when I was little, I had blonde hair. My dad had black hair. And I always wanted black hair. So I, I drew a picture of myself as an adult in, in a house that I owned. And I had black hair in that picture <laughs> and uh, a green, green grass, a nice yard and flowers and stuff. And uh, I, was, I, was, uh, I was pretty proud of that picture. And my, I showed my mom after I'd finished it. And she just... She just lit up and she said, oh, wow. You know, she just acts so impressed. And I just thought, man, I have really hit it out of the park with this one. <laughs> anyway, um, <That's> awesome. <laughs> several years later, probably as a teenager or something, I found that picture again. And it was just so average. It was, <laughs> it was kind of sloppy and it was like such a realization. It just was like this, the shock came to me and I realized that for years, my mom had been telling me how wonderful I was when I had very likely been very average <laughs> at, <laughs> at a lot of things. But it was, it was such a cool realization because it made me, it made me realize how much confidence my mom instilled in me and how that really kind of created kind of a a foundation for the rest of my life and, you know, other years growing up. That is an awesome story. Yeah. (laughs) I love how you, I love how you had black hair too. Yeah, I know. I (laughs) I wish. wish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I grew up and I still don't have black hair. You know, you and I talked about this in the episode where we talked about training your team. I think it was uh, it was the one it's called like changes that stick in your dental office or or something like that but basically we we talked about this that um you can basically encourage the type of behavior that you want to see by positive words and sometimes you can even actually I think this might be in his book and something that maybe you'll get to but uh, you know he talks about but we talked about in our episode sometimes you can even compliment someone for doing something that they haven't exactly done yet but uh Anyway, do you, I'm curious, Steve, do you have, do you have an example that you can think of where that type of situation, someone really kind of gave you a sincere appreciation or compliment and it really uh, made a difference for you? (laughs) Yeah, I remember now this was a long time ago, I guess, kind of like your experience, but I remember in junior high, I get, we, you know, the, everyone does like the yearbook signing day. It's like the biggest day of the year like how many people sign your book like right how cool how cool are you it's like how the many worst phone day numbers ever. did you get yeah it's like a terrible time in a poor teenager's life but anyways <laughs> i remember i remember i had one kid like he was a quiet kid and i we like wrote books and he wrote in mine and he said thanks steve you were the only person to ever say hi to me wow yeah like i i, I read that later when i got home and i realized it made me feel really good but one interesting effect is 
it suddenly made me realize that I need to say hi to everybody, you know? Yeah. And that compliment, I don't really know if I said hi to everybody. Maybe it was just, I said hi to him. And so it helped that one person, but his appreciation or compliment made me the next year be intentional about trying to say hi, or at least speak, at least try to speak to everybody. So kind of a weird junior high esque example, but I think the principle kind of shows how a you know sincere appreciation and compliment can inspire and build change in you. Man, I'm I'm like uh, I'm tearing up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, that's we're, that's we're, seriously we're is uh, <laughs> that seriously is is so cool. I'm I'm glad you shared that. That's a, uh, I mean. I mean, we're, I mean, ultimately we're talking about business and ownership and all of those things, but there are, you know, a lot of this stuff in this book and, you know, I mean, something that you'd said right there, I mean, that's something where you're, you're, you're changing lives, you know, you're, you're doing little things that you're, you're really making the world a better place. So man, that's, that's that's really cool. (laughs) That's fun. And I think in general though, to your point and mine, I think this is a big way that we grow as individuals. I mean, I think we grow a lot through struggle and sacrifice, kind of like what you were talking about last week in your podcast. But I think we also grow this way through building. And, you know, looking back in my life, I don't know if I was ever really motivated to improve myself after someone scolded me or if I was disciplined or if like I I was punished by something being withheld. But I do feel really motivated. I did feel really motivated to be better you know, during those times when someone went out of their way to like build me up, you know, and this is kind of funny. I feel like I'm talking with my kids because we talk about this all the time. We build people up. We don't break them down. But Carnegie, he, he put on his mirror so he would read and see the message every day. It said, I have it here. I shall pass this way, but once any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer nor neglect it for I shall not pass this way again. I think it's a good call out for us to remember, you know, to treat those around us our best and um, just kind of take advantage of each interaction with other people. Good advice for business um, and really just kind of life. This kind of leads us into another one of his points that you actually just touched on with, with your experience and your mom, Derek. But he says, give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. I think this is a great technique to inspire Im- improvement from from those around you. I remember I was talking to my wife about this and she said as a teenager she worked at Sonic and while you know as she was like you know the girl on roller skates like bringing food out to people and her manager when she was a teenager got a note from an employee or from a customer excuse me that said just a really nice glowing letter that said how great Mindy was when she was our bellhop that day and what a great job she did. Her employer actually got a nice frame and put it at the front of the restaurant where all of the servers come in and out every day. And you can kind of imagine, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a really good idea, really how my wife as a teenager must've been uber motivated every day after that, walking past that framed letter every day to live up to the reputation that she created for herself. I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Gusta actually, but anyways, um, great philosopher. You hear the phrase a lot, but basically it's treat a man as he is and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he can be 
and he will become as he can and should be. Yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm sitting here almost in awe a little bit. I don't know. It's so interesting. I, I kind of, I, we, I started out this podcast and kind of going into it thinking I was going to share things about how, you know, that I like this book, but I disagree. And it's, uh, <laughs> Steve, you've, al- you've almost like given me what this. Are you over? Yeah, yeah. You've almost given me this like spiritual experience where I feel, <laughs> I just feel motivated and want to go change the world now. <laughs> On the air. Here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I think all of these are are great points and they they definitely translate into training and how all of the ways that you can inspire and, and do things. One of the ways where I am am probably going to again maybe disagree a little bit is just that with my children or family or someone that's like more of a lifelong relationship or someone in life, I will be more likely to live by those philosophies. But in in my business, I am going to try and inspire and motivate, but this this is something that I can't do long term. If if I'm trying to help others make a change and I'm not seeing effort and I'm not seeing change, ultimately they're they're going to be replaced. And I'm I'm a firm believer that uh, we are we're all in control of our lives, and so you know I I believe that my employees have control over their lives, and and I want to help them, but ultimately, I see it as ultimately it is their decision if they keep their job or not. I will give them opportunities, but if they if they don't take advantage of the opportunities, it's it's really their choice that they're not doing that and they're going to be let go. I don't know. Do you have thoughts no, on I, that, Steve? I, I totally agree. Yeah. I think, you know, in a professional, we're with employees, we're with people, we're friends with them, but work where we were there is for professional reasons. You know, there's results that need to be made. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree. We don't want to coddle or condone, you know, poor performance in the name of, you know, doing these positive charitable, you know, things. Uh, I think maybe a good application, for example, of this principle, like my hygienist, <laughs> when I first hired her a few years ago, like I, I just stood outside the door once to listen to her, how she communicated with patients and she was getting someone numb and she's like, okay, this is going to feel like a little bee sting. Okay. And I was like, ah, that's not the best thing to say, you know, when you're getting someone numb. So instead I pulled her aside and said, Hey, I have some, maybe some communication ideas that we can do when you're numbing people up and and I had her come and watch how I get someone numb. And now whenever we talk to a patient about SRP, I'm always say in front of her and to, to the patient, Erica is going to do her very best to make this as gentle and as painless as possible for you. So I'm basically trying to build in her mind a reputation, whether she's totally reached it or not, maybe um, is to be seen, but at least kind of an expectation. So, so just kind of like in a little, I guess, conversations like that. Our front desk, she she's on top of this. She's going to get the most out of your insurance to try to lower your out-of-pocket expense. Or, you know, she'll she's so good at the scheduling, she'll make sure to get you in right away if you ever have a problem. So ty- th- those types of things, I think, yeah. are yeah. kind of more applicable. Yeah, but, great. Anyways, I think I'm blabbing on and making this longer than it needs to be. But last point here um, is... Carnegie says, if you are wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. And this might not seem 
like what you should, the first thing you should do as a leader, if you're trying to gain support and, and influence people. But I think it's really true. Owning up to your mistakes builds trust with those around you. They understand that if you're being honest and open, there's nothing to cover up. You're not there to make excuses and they can kind of trust you as a genuine, genuine person. This is something that I find in those around me when people really own up to a mistake. I, I'm instantly kind of gravitated towards them. I really have quick trust in them and I don't look down or I don't look think less of them because they're wrong. But I think the, the opposite is true because they admit they're wrong, if that makes sense. Would you agree on this? Yeah, it's a great point. And I think ultimately, in certain situations, there's no more, there's no better way to earn someone's respect and admiration than basically saying, look, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I recognize that I haven't stepped it up in this way, or I haven't provided the support that you need. Or as a leader, when you can lead and be humble enough to admit your shortcomings, but um, to continue to push forward and uh, show acceptance of, of others and be willing to listen, your staff is much more likely to, to be loyal followers and to buy in to what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I remember Justin a few years ago when I started with the lifestyle practice, he, you know, he said, you know, at your first big team meeting, when you're, when you're ready to turn things around, don't be afraid to go out and just kind of clear the air and apologize and say, Hey, I have not been an assertive, a leader as I have been. So I just wanted to apologize to everyone for not holding us all accountable and being the best leader I can. And then after you kind of basically share, you know, your shortcomings and, and kind of own up to your mistakes, then you kind of throw down a challenge and, and lead a new or kind of direct the new vision. So I I think, I think, uh, admitting those things in a open and honest way is a great way to build trust and, and, and ask uh, a quality of good leaders rather than a weakness. So Derek, anything you remember from this read or anything that we've left out before we finish? I don't think so. I think, I I think we did a good job uh, covering some of the important parts and uh, to anyone that hasn't read it, that finds these principles interesting and wants to have a more fulfilling life. I think this is a great one to read. So thank you everyone for listening. If you would do us a favor, we'd appreciate it. And that is to tell a friend to listen to the podcast, even just one person. We'd really appreciate that. Also, if you'd be willing to leave us a rating and review, we'd appreciate that. It means a lot to us. I've never been a big person to leave reviews, but I'm recognizing how important they are. And when I do really enjoy something, I do try and go out of my way. So we always appreciate that. So you're always welcome to email us at uh, Justin, Steve, or Derek at thelifestylepractice.com and or join on our TLP podcast Facebook page. We'd love to uh, pick up the conversations there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo.